The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, this morning we're going to be talking with a guest that we've had on before. Um, We're going to be speaking with wonderful Jedediah Bracey, who's coming to us from the East Coast. He's a certified information privacy professional, and he works for the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and he is the editor of Privacy Perspectives and Privacy Tech. Jed Bracey writes and uh, and moderates myriad views and developments that inform data security and information privacy. He's very involved in all of the conferences that are uh, put on by the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and he also blogs about the not-so-obvious intersection between technology, society, and privacy. And occasionally, he writes feature articles for the Privacy Advisor, the Privacy Tracker, and he tweets for at Daily Dashboard. So thank you so much for joining us again, Jed. How are you? Thanks, Thanks, Mari. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I know that there is an upcoming privacy conference in Las Vegas. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure, thanks. Yeah, we, um, our annual uh, conference, uh, the last few years has been out on the West Coast. Um, uh, and this year we're going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, we're going to be, we're joining forces once again with the Cloud Security Alliance. Um, and it's going to be near the end of September. Uh, it's going to be from September 30th to October 1st. Uh, and it's going to be at the Bellagio, so it should be... Uh, Pretty, pretty fun conference. Uh, with some great um, keynote speakers, including Brian Krabs, who's an uh, investigative reporter, does a lot of uh, reporting on cyber breaches. Um, Adam Tanner, who just wrote a book on casinos and privacy, so it uh, kind of makes sense. Uh, and we'll also have a keynote panel uh, with uh, the FTC uh, director, um, Jessica Rich, and uh, the Chief of Enforcement for the uh, FCC, Travis LeBlanc. So that should be a really good 
panel as well, as well as a lot of great breakout sessions throughout the day. Right. Two days. And, and what is the theme? What's the name of the theme for this, this upcoming conference? Sure. So this year, this first time, we've, we've traditionally called it the Academy, the Privacy Academy. This year, we're calling it Privacy, Security, Risk, because uh, really those are the, the, the three big things that uh, we're finding uh, are on Privacy Pro's radar. So TSR for short. Right. And who do you think should be coming to that event? Um, everyone from Privacy Pro's, um, attorneys that are working in privacy compliance, uh, security professionals, um, engineers, privacy engineers, software engineers, um, risk assessment. There's there's a whole wide range of folks that uh, would would find this very interesting and helpful. Well, you've been a busy gentleman here. Earlier this year, you rolled out your new blog called Privacy Tech. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, I think it was about two years ago we rolled out Privacy Perspectives, which is kind of like our uh, you know, opinion page for privacy issues. Um, but, you know, so much of what's driving the privacy issues out there is technology. So we wanted to make sure we offered a, a channel uh, to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the technology of privacy, whether it's uh, consumer reviews of, of different privacy-enhancing technologies or if it's a deeper dive into, you know, encryption or... Uh, some of the more technological, technologically um, deeper issues, we try and focus that on uh, on that in privacy tech. Well, there's so many new technology issues that are coming up, whether it's we're talking about drones or the Internet of Things. Let's talk a little bit about, have you covered any of those issues? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the uh, Internet of Things is, is kind of like one of those buzzwords that you know everyone's talking about. FTC held a roundtable on it, I think it was last year, uh, and it's certainly, you know, it's, it's one of those areas that it's really driving the economy, and a lot of businesses are being built around it, and, and bigger companies are, are taking advantage of it, and it's going to offer, you know, a lot of great benefits for consumers, but, you know, everything from your Fitbit, um, you know, collecting your, your heart rate and, and your activities during the day to, you know, your smart refrigerator. Uh, that's going to tell you if you're running out of milk. Um, together with those benefits is also going to be some, some risks and some privacy concerns about, you know, is your information safe, especially with, you know, the ability of um, people and, and state-sponsored um, hackers to, to get into all this. So you always have to be careful with uh, uh, deploying these new technologies. Right, right. So um, what are some of the things that, Consumers who might be listening and business people who might be listening right now, what should they be doing? Let's say they don't have a privacy officer. What should they be doing to, to catch up on this kind of stuff? Um, well, I mean, certainly the, the media is focused on a lot of this, um, whether it's our publications, a shameless plug there, you can read us. Um, but, you know, every, everyone from the Wall Street Journal to the, the Washington Post is, is writing about these things. Um, and, you know, it's it's a complex issue that's, that's worth learning about. Um, so the more you read, um, whether it's joining our organization or um, just reading about it, there's, there's certainly a lot of options to, to take. So, Jed, can people who are not members get in and see your blog? Oh, yes. Yeah, there's no 
uh, paywall around that. It's, it's all free. And our, we have a daily uh, newsletter called the Daily Dashboard, uh, and that's uh, free as well. Um, and then, of course, if, if any of your listeners are active on Twitter, we are too, so you can get a lot of the news that way as well. So what is the URL for your blog? Is it under privacyassociation.org, or what, what would you, what is it? Yeah, let me, I, that's a great question. Let me look that up right now. <laughs> you write for it all the time. How often do you do the blog? How many? I just rely on my, my browser to remember all these things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's you know, privacyassociation.org, and then under news, you can see all of our publications we have. Uh, not only the data dashboard and perspectives and privacy tech, but we also have uh, the privacy advisor, uh, which is kind of a how-to, more in-depth um, reporting on, on privacy issues. And then we also have privacy tracker, which really kind of keeps uh, keeps a log and, and is, is watching where privacy laws are, are going, how they're progressing through Congress, state state legislatures, all that stuff. So we really have a thumb on the our finger on the pulse of, of, of privacy. Right, right. So uh, it's wonderful that you have some of those. I know the privacy advisor, you have to be a member, but for those people who are interested in the blog that Jed writes, I think you'll find wonderful information that will, you know, guide you on what's really happening out there. So let's talk, you were talking a few minutes ago about the breach. Let's talk about that huge OPM breach and, and what mm. happened and, and what's going on. I've had many people contact me who have been victims of that breach. So let's let's talk about what happened and what that's all about. Sure, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a quite a series of events that kind of led up to this. And I think now total between, there, there was really two main hacks of the Office of Personnel Management, which is kind of like the HR function of, of the U.S. government. So they have millions and millions of um, records for federal employees. Um, and so earlier this year, um, they announced uh, one hack that um, cyber thieves were able to get in and uh, steal personnel records. Uh, and that was the, the original number on that was 42 million people were affected by that. Um, and so those whose uh, information was taken then sh probably should have been notified by now. I think the OPM has said this week that they're almost complete, uh, com they've almost completely notified everyone from that. Um, then the, the, the second more kind of damaging uh, breach, uh, which was announced a couple months ago, but the uh, former director Catherine Archuleta hasn't didn't want to put a number on how many were affected by that until um, last Friday. Or actually, it was last Thursday, I believe. Um, but that was at 21.5 million, and that's much more damaging because it's it's the security clearance background checks, the SF86 forms that people have uh, filled out to get clearance for various federal jobs, um, and so the OPM on Last Thursday, even said that uh, they they highly suspect that every um, record from the year 2000 through um, when they discovered it in January of this year uh, was likely uh, exfiltrated or, or taken out of their database. So we're talking. So it's a pretty big one. I, I think someone I think someone put a number on that it was 
uh, about 7% of the U.S. population was affected by these breaches. Right. Now, this isn't just federal employees, but anyone who applied to be a federal Correct. employee and had a background check, and, and we're talking 15 years, 2000 to 2015. Yeah. So even if you applied 10 years ago or more, your information is, is obviously taken. Yes, yeah, it, it's true, and, and you know a lot of a lot of these SF eighty six forms, um, you know, not only include the the subject's personal information, but you know they give references whether it's past employers, uh, spouses, friends, people that can kind of um, back up who they say they are. So all of you know all of that information was taken as well. So it's 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 a very wide ranging and damaging breach. And, and the Social Security numbers are taken, so it's really easy yep. for whoever has gotten this to take over someone's identity. They're going to know so much about them because when you fill out the federal background check information, you tell them your whole life story, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I think the, the Obama administration has been really kind of careful because uh, there's some, you know, kind of diplomatic issues at play here, but, you know, it, it looks like it's likely uh, at least a group that has ties to the to the Chinese government. So uh, one thing that that um, you know different journalists have written about is um, a lot of this information hasn't been seen for sale on the dark web, um, which kind of points to it being a state-sponsored um, incident. Uh, and so, from what I've read, you know, this is more of a you know, an espionage, uh, a way of kind of creating a database of American um, federal employees um, to potentially find who they're working with and, you know, say, for example, China or different uh, countries around the world. Um, and, of course, anytime, you know, financial history or mental history is included, you know, these could be areas where people could, you know, potentially um, be blackmailed or, or um, you know, uh, victims of spear phishing from... from whomever has this uh, information. So. Right. And, you know, what just shocks me is that we've talked for so long about the fact that that, that data should be encrypted, right? And it's my mm. understanding that most of that data wasn't encrypted and it didn't even require two-factor authentication. What is that about? Yeah, but, I mean, well, it's a tough lesson to learn here. Um, I, part of the part of the problem um, that that both uh, OPM's director Captain Archuleta and their chief uh, information officer Donna Seymour, when they testified last month, um, talked about these legacy systems that that the that the OPM had. So you know these databases date back you know as far back into the mid '80s, and um, using you know program programming language like COBOL that um, you know you, you really can't encrypt. Um, so the government is definitely rapidly, uh, they just completed the 30-day cyber sprint to try and assess, uh, you know, federal agencies' uh, cybersecurity frameworks to, you know, see where vulnerabilities are. Um, but there's certainly a lot of old databases, old legacy systems that um, just aren't uh, protective enough of, of information. So, you know, hopefully the... You know, the government's definitely trying to, to get this right, um, but it could take a while. I, and I'm just wondering, you know, the Federal Trade Commission, which is a government agency, is always mm -hmm. on, 
people to, you know, secure data. And here it is. It's so ironic, and it, it's, it's uh, really hypocritical for our government. But I'm just wondering, why do they have 15 years' worth on these, you know, why they didn't have that taken off and put it in different files that is, isn't easily accessed? By um, by those computers, I, I, what do they need fifteen years back for? Well, I'm not sure exactly. You know, what, you know what the forensics of, of the breach were, but my understanding is um, through a series of breaches, um, going back to a couple of contractors that were hired by the OPM, credentials uh, like system admin credentials were accessed at one point. So um, I believe the the, the damaging the security clearance background uh, breach started in May of 2014. And so this, you know, system admin had access to um, several of the networks um, and was able to kind of move around at will uh, and, and then um, exfiltrate or take data out of these networks without being spotted for quite, quite a period of time. Um, and, you know, really, according to the OPM, you know, a lot of these, these breaches were kind of discovered as the OPM were, were actually putting new cybersecurity safeguards on these uh, systems. So that kind of tipped them off that they had been breached. But it, it was a long time. It was, it was uh, almost a year that they had access. So I think they had some time to kind of move around and, and kind of go where they wanted to. Right. So one of my clients who received the letter that, you know, because they had done a background. It was a vendor who had done a background mm -hmm. check. I think it was Keypoint is the name of the vendor yep. that did the background check. And um, and so they told them, you know, everything that was in your background check has been, you know, been breached. And, um, and they were offering him all clear, which is a credit mm -hmm. monitoring and some monitoring. But, you know, that's not really going to protect him entirely from identity theft and any other kind of uh, privacy invasion at, at this point. So I'm just, uh, I, it, it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a brave new world. You know, we, we've kind of been talking about this, you know, when, when such a high percentage of people uh, have had their identity stolen, mine's been stolen, um, you know, it, there's some, it, it's almost like, we, you know, we, and kind of sympathize with each other because, you know, right. it's, it's all out there. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means, but <laughs> I do know that um, the, there's uh, a bill was proposed this past week um, by some of the senators in the Maryland, Virginia area to uh, extend the credit monitoring and identity theft protection services for those affected by this second uh, OPM breach uh, for life. Um, so obviously it's less to, you know, pass up both houses of Congress, but, you know, there is definitely some uh, some government backing when they're trying to extend some of these services for uh, victims of this. Yeah. I think it's, you know, kind of deceptive for people to think that credit monitoring is going to be enough because there is a lot of kinds of identity theft that are not going to be protected, such as government mm. benefit identity theft and medical mm. identity theft and, um, you know, various, like bank, bank fraud, bank identity theft, you know, n none of that. If it's not credit, it's not going to appear on a credit report. So that's mm, kind of, that's you know, that's really not going to do it, you know, because I have people that come to me 
that have, you know, their investments stolen, and that's not on their uh, credit report either. And, you know, you had in this article that you wrote, which I enjoyed reading, it says, why Director Comey can't have his cake and eat it too. And this you wrote in uh, July 10th. And um, one of the things you quoted him saying, you're saying, here's what FBI Director James Comey had to say about this second OPM hack. If you have my SF-86, you know every place I lived since I was 18, contact people at those addresses, neighbors at those addresses, all of my family, every place I've traveled outside of the United States since I was 18, and if I had substantial contact with any non-U.S. person, it's in there, along with the con contact information of that person. So just imagine if you were a Foreign Service person, you know. <laughs> this, this yeah. Is, it's, uh, no, it's, it's really, it's, it's unprecedented. It, it really is a, a pretty amazing event, um, but, you know, Hopefully, you know, we'll recover from it and uh, keep yeah. an eye out for everyone. Right, right. So um, at the beginning of June, the U.S. government reformed some of its surveillance laws. Um, can you talk about how that came about? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, it, it was the, kind of overshadowed by the OPM Act. I think it was about a week after the USA Freedom Act uh, was passed uh, pretty historically by um, the U.S. government. Uh, these OPM Acts came out, so it kind of, we, you know, the media kind of Not forgot bad. about it a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, really almost two years to the day after uh, Ed, Edward Snowden's um, initial revelations about the NSA spying programs, um, the uh, House or the Senate approved the uh, USA Freedom Act. And basically what that does is now outlaws uh, the national security agents, national security, uh, I'm tied here. National Security Agency's um, interpretation of Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act, which had given uh, the government the ability to, um, in bulk, collect the telephone metadata of uh, every U.S. citizen. Uh, so that's basically metadata meaning um, phone number call from which phone number, duration of call, uh, time of day, um, which can be pretty revealing information. So uh, that that was outlawed, um, and um, the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, um, which was is kind of like a, a secret classified court that approved this, um, will now have a, uh, a privacy advocate kind of adversary um, in the court that can kind of... Um, mimic a, a normal court process where there is an adversary to counter-argue whenever the federal government is asking for a warrant for um, bulk collection or, or a collection of someone's metadata. They'll have to go through this process. Uh, and then also the other, the other big part of it is they're uh, going to declassify a number of older FISA court um, judgments. Uh, so I think that's going to be really um, interesting to read once those come out in the coming months or years. So what do you think? Do you think with all of the disclosures and all those going on, do you think that we're going to get some more reform? Well, I, there's, certainly, uh, there's, there's certainly some senators and, and privacy advocates that would love to see that. I know that uh, Senator Ron Wyden, who's, who's kind of one of the main privacy advocates uh, in the Senate, um, you know, he, he said this is only the beginning, um, and in 20, 
2017 when Section 702 of the FISA Act comes up. Um, he wants to uh, essentially make similar reforms to that. Uh, so Section 702 allows the U.S. intelligence services to uh, collect a lot of uh, the Internet communications of Americans. So, um, But that's that's got a couple more years left. So that's certainly um, one thing that a lot of people have their eyes on. And then <clears throat> just today, uh, the Christian Science Monitor has an article on um, Executive Order 12333, which was originally um, ordered by President Reagan in, in 1981, and it allows the um, CIA to um, intercept a lot of communications. So, and that only has oversight from the executive branch. So um, I think there's a lot of people out there who would like to see that reformed as well. Um, I'm not sure um, if that will happen, but those are two, um, two things that I think a lot of uh, people would like to see reformed. Yeah, I think oversight is always healthy, and I think it is a huge change with the FISA court because before, when um, you know when the government wanted to go in, they just said this is what we want, and very very few of the FISA um, the claims that went to FISA were ever rejected, and and so there was never anybody on the on the consumer side to say, hey, you know, let's let's look at the privacy aspects here. So that's actually quite huge. Yeah, it, it really is, you know. Uh, and, and, and I think I think seeing these transparency reports uh, or the, the, the court decisions in the past will also uh, be really interesting to see, especially um, for privacy advocates who want to see more reforms. Yeah, yeah. What about Snowden? I mean, um, do you think that there's going to be a chance that he'll be seen as a as a whistleblower instead of a, you know, a traitor. I just, I really enjoyed the documentary that I saw at the IAPP conference in March mm. with Edward Snow. That was very, very powerful. And obviously listening to the journalist who, who interviewed him um, was also an incredible event. That yeah, Glenn Greenwald. Yeah. yeah, Glenn was just, I, I just, I felt very informed. I felt like I really had a better handle on, on who Edward Snowden was. So what do you think mm. will happen with that? Do you think there's a chance for him to be seen um, and, and be able to come back to this country as a whistleblower? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I know that the Obama administration still would probably support um, some sort of trial for him. Um, so I certainly I don't know what'll happen, but um, it sounds like you know he would he would be welcome he would he would want to come back to the country, um, but I don't know um, what would actually happen. It, that would be interesting. It would be an interesting thing to follow. Uh, yeah. and, and you know it's a very controversial thing. You know I think yeah, you know, but, but without of, him, he's a whistleblower. And, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But without him, it's very unlikely that any of this these changes would have happened, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the changes uh, that were made to Section 215 uh, were really in direct relation to one of the, the programs that he exposed uh, through the, the initial leaks. So uh, there's definitely a, a, a thread there. Yeah. Now, can you talk a little bit about the latest developments in the revenge porn legislation? We had a lot out here in California. We don't have a lot of time. If you could just kind of summarize. 
Oh, sure, yeah. No, uh, it's kind of finally making its way into the mainstream, which is great to see. Uh, John Oliver did a clip on it uh, recently on his show. Uh, Google announced they're going to um, uh, offer takedown requests for people who are victim to that. Um, and I think later this month, uh, California uh, lawmaker Jackie uh, Spear, or Spire, um, is going to you got it right. Yeah, Jackie. Yeah, she's here. Yeah, she's going to propose federal uh, legislation, uh, which would be pretty historic. Uh, I know there's a number of states that have it, um, but this would be the first time uh, 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 proposed legislation for it would would go federal. So, yeah. it'd be interesting to see. I look forward yeah. to seeing that. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, ruins people's lives. So we are just out of time. We've been speaking um, with. Jed Bracey, who is the editor of Privacy Perspectives and Privacy Tech at the International Association of Privacy Professionals. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Jed, and thank you so much for keeping us updated on what's happening in privacy. So just give the website, and it's time to go. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, and our website is www.privacyassociation.org. Well, Thanks, thank Mari. Thank you. Take care. Talk to you soon. You as well. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.